Earlier this week, the MCU architect and Citadel producer Joe Rousseau found himself in the crosshairs of film Twitter, as the mentally ill like to call it, when he suggested that he envisions this future where AI algorithms will create and write our cinematic storylines. And he incurred even more wrath when he suggested that the sea change is a mere two years away. So it's kind of a pretty large coincidence that he made these comments the same week that his new Amazon show hit the streaming service. If you had told me that his interview was the first step in some master plan where he would rip open his kimono and exclaim, ha, this is, entire show was actually written by ChatGPT, I would actually probably believe you. Because Citadel is the most soulless amalgam of popular spy tropes, as if somebody fed Jason Bourne, James Bond, and Tom Clancy into some sort of writing prompt software, and this is what it spit out. Let's get nuts. Welcome to Theater and Stream, a film podcast. I am Matt, and that is Chuck, and this is episode number six. This week, we're taking one last pit stop into the land of big-budget TV before we enter summer blockbuster season. We're reviewing the first two episodes of Amazon's new action spy series, Citadel. Everything about this show is massive. Massive set pieces, massive budget, massive egos, and quite possibly a massive misfire? We'll talk about that a little bit later. But speaking of massive, in the news section we'll talk about one of the year's biggest dumps of movie news thus far, with CinemaCon. And after that we've got something special cooking as we come together with the film-watching community to participate in the 2023 Summer Movie Wager, wherein Chuck and I will attempt to guess the highest-grossing films of this forthcoming summer. And even after all that other stuff, we've still got the watch list, we've still got the mentionable, and we're still naming our favorite thing that we watched this week in Pick of the Week. You're going to find timestamps in the episode description. If you like what you see, go ahead and like and subscribe. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and rate us on your podcast service of choice. But anyways, that's the business end of the show. Chuck, I'll turn it over to you. Always interesting how we live in like different realities, Matt. Like how we all have certain things put in front of our faces. And we have, this was reinforced as in our pre-show, you know, ramble that we had. Because it just kind of occurred to me, yeah, for some reason, Google really thinks I need to see certain things. 
because I've seen a lot of discourse that you really, you know, hadn't seen too much of in the spaces that you're on. But the one in particular that came up for a lot of people is a part of this massive wave of content, you know, hype that's been going on is, oh, yeah, by the way, Netflix still has a Witcher show with Henry Cavill in it. For some reason, I thought he was like totally done with it after season two, but he is in season three. We are now going to see the like how the divorce happened in real time. And because based on the trailer, I don't know if you've watched it. It is very uninspiring <laughs> and it really just makes you go. Yeah, maybe he's better off being um, Caiaphas Kane or, you know, some kind of Primark from the 40K series and whatever the fuck he has cooking with Amazon, because this looks mm -hmm. insipid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the weirdest thing about all of this is that uh, Liam Hemsworth is going to be playing Geralt. And so what are they going to are they just going to act like nothing happened when suddenly Geralt loses like 50 pounds of muscle and looks like a string bean all of a sudden between the two seasons and like it's just so it's so strange and I mean they what they really should have probably done if they had to continue this franchise they should have just you know gone with a different witcher go like make the show about um like one of the other, you know, seven other witchers that live at Care Morin or something. I I don't know. It's it's yeah. so odd. It is odd, and it it, it kind of is wrapped up in a, a, a lot of you know, nonsense. You know, probably when you you get down to it, because there's also this question of okay, are we like really being faithful to the books here and whatever the fuck they have going on, or are you just you know aping the video games by Project Red? you know for like all of their good ideas you know at the same time i don't know it I, I i think i have to confess i still haven't finished season two because it just got so boring and just showing me hints of the wild hunt isn't going to be enough to keep me going and the discourse i'm hearing is yeah just cancel this fucking thing just you know kill it with fire move the fuck on with your life because there's a lot of other things to watch matt because, like you alluded to, CinemaCon's fucking going on. And I couldn't keep up. The document kept on getting bigger. <laughs> Matt just kept on adding new, like, bullet points with, like, links and at least, like, a paragraph's worth of information. So, yeah, like, where do you want to start with this? Because it, it, I am lost in the sea. And I'm dr yeah, almost well, drowning. I think, um, so, if people don't know, this is the, like, big conference that happens every year for theater owners across the U.S., and it's in Vegas. And what they do is they put on all these panels for the theater owners trying to convince them to, you know, buy a certain number of showings of each film and whatnot. And um, so, kind of how this is structured is, I guess there are four main panels that happen. There was... Sony, Disney, Universal, or no, there was five. Sony, Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, Paramount. And so I think it's probably best if we take it sort of panel by panel and then just talk about, you know, what we wanted to mention from each panel. And yeah. I guess probably to start off, Disney would be the best one. I don't know if you, or no, I guess, no, I'm sorry, Sony. Sony is the first one I had on there. So Sony, um, anything <laughs> that stuck out to you from that little bit? Just that, like, we already kind of, like, in our video game adaptation conversation, I literally said, who fucking wants, like, a Need for Speed movie or a Gran Turismo movie? And, like, sure enough, we're getting a Gran Turismo movie, which is Top Gun and Cars. So, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what 
Fast and the Furious is already. Like, how do you get a mat? Like, you need to have the charisma of the the, the actors and the egos, you know, behind the cam, on the camera, behind it, whatever. So, like, who's even behind this? What do we know about it? Um, it's actually Neil Bloomcamp, I think. <laughs> District Nine. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> This is kind of his next stop on his road to failure. But um, yeah, this, I mean, I the way that you do this, Top Gun in cars, you know, it, it sounds like they could differentiate themselves from Fast and the Furious by, you know, going the realism aspect, going the, the route of realism where, you know, you're literally in like the cockpit of the car with these guys and they're doing all the stunts for real. I don't know if that's the case, but that would be, if they did all the, like the car stuff for real, instead of, you know, using a ton of CGI, I don't know, it could be cool, but um, yeah, it's this is not a video game that needed an adaptation. Oh, it's too bad. But what seems to have, you know, genuinely piqued the interest of the majority of the internet, because the algorithm has put a lot of like, hey, want to watch this leaked footage of Craven the Hunter? You know, because that is a movie that everyone asked for, obviously. But <laughs> this is going to be R-rated. It's going to be kind of brutal. But where is Spider-Man in all of this? Because if it doesn't somehow link up to, you know, him like hunting Spider-Man in New York City, what are we doing? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the big question because I think they're... I don't know if you read the description of the footage, but like apparently um, Craven the Hunter, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, is literally like ripping guys' throats out with his, with his mouth and then like spitting them on the ground and nice. like stuff like that. And I think there would be no funnier thing than if Sony were to like force Marvel's hand... In including this in their MCU by including Spider-Man in this movie, including Tom Holland's Spider-Man, where they, because I mean they they have carte blanche to do that. They can put Tom Holland's Spider-Man in any movie they want to, and so it would be so hilarious if they make this like uber violent film, and then at the end of it, Tom Holland's Spider-Man shows up, and they essentially then have to force Marvel's hand into like including that into their MCU. That is the world I want to live in. I'm not going to lie. That'd be pretty baller. We also got, and I am genuinely looking forward to this movie, Ridley Scott's Napoleon starring Joaquin Phoenix. Because I've, I went on a kick where I listened to a, a lot of the oversimplified YouTube videos about the Napoleonic Wars. And I just like the idea of this actor paired with this director about this subject. It's honestly like the first, like one of you know, Ridley Scott's big, like vanity pieces that he's done in the last 20 years that I'm genuinely like, this is perfect and I want it. But what, what, what did they show about that? They actually, they did show some footage and there's not a whole lot out there about it. It was described as incredibly violent. Yes. And um, I think Ridley Scott has gone on record in saying that he's actually using some of Stanley Kubrick's like notes and stuff to make this movie okay. because cool. you know if people don't know Kubrick was famously working on a Napoleon movie around the time that he died and so Ridley Scott has you know taken those notes and taken those you know costume designs and and um, uh, concept art stuff like that and he's employing them in the making of this movie wow that's really cool you you make yeah. me excited 
Um, and then of course, you want to move on to the, the WB one now we could, was there anything yeah. special about this ghostbusters afterlife thing or was it just kind of a, Hey, we're doing this. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. It was, okay. it was just a video. The cast showed up and said, Hey, we're going to do a second movie. So, all right. Because yeah, Dune part two, part two from the Warner brothers panel. I am really interested in this. What did you think of the trailer that we got? Um, as far as like, is there a trailer online? I guess I didn't know that there was a trailer. Unless it, I got unless I got completely bamboozled. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. know. Either that, or maybe one got released. Um, or or somebody. I don't know. Maybe somebody uh, cam did like a cam rip of it. But from what I understand, the trailer isn't online. Oh, okay. But. Then maybe I got completely bamboozled. You know, strike that. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was just, I mean, at that panel, it was basically just a bunch. They, they got all the cast on the stage. And I think um, Denny Villeneuve was quoted as saying that, you know, Dune is going to be, this second part is going to be more action packed. And oh, yeah. it's going to, um, it's going to pick up from the second that the first movie ended. And he doesn't want people to treat it as a sequel. He wants them to treat it as a continuation of the story. Because that's exactly what it is. Like, it... Mm -hmm. It's painful how much, like they this just needed to be one movie. It's kind of like Kill Bill, in that respect, yeah. because yeah, th this thing just needs to be seamless. And uh, I'm glad that that's the approach he's taking because like this is the this is like this back end is two books from the the whole that is the the book mm -hmm. itself, and this is where all of the sandworm you know barf water orgies happen you know this is where like all the the the, the killing happens and all the fucking happens it's going to be great and it, if this doesn't win best picture i'm going to be pissed because <laughs> this is the movie i've been waiting for since i was a child uh mm. but so some people have been waiting the same amount of time for a sequel to beetlejuice why are they not calling this beetlejuice goes hawaiian it breaks my whole life that they aren't calling this sequel that. Well, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't call it yet because I there's very little info about this so far. It, just that Tim Burton's involved, Michael Keaton's involved. I think there was some rumors out there that they were trying to get um, when, uh, what's her name, Wednesday Adams girl as Lydia Dietz's daughter oh, in the movie. They need to stop um, just shoehorning her into <laughs> these Tim Burton movies. That it just annoys me. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't count it out. I mean, I, I don't think they've actually revealed the actual title yet, so it could happen. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, one of the big ones from this one that I wanted to talk about was the the Flash because okay, um, they, right there's a new that. trailer. Did you watch the new trailer at all? The one I, that they put online? I have not. I, I really want to yeah. save myself from the the hype derailing experience that may happen if I see too much. I just want to see this thing, but I want to be as virgin as possible. Yeah, it's probably a good way to go because it does show a lot. But um, the sort of big news, though, from this was that they actually screened The Flash for the public for the first time at CinemaCon. And... I, I don't know what to think of this because we've gotten this sort of this these words from you know apparently Tom Cruise saw the movie and absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's right. And Zaslav um, had a special screening for him. 
Yeah, and then um, James Gunn has gone on record saying that it's the best DC film ever, which of course he would say at this point. But um, now a lot of people are coming out with their sort of social media takes because Warner Brothers isn't allowing full reviews yet, just kind of like social media, you know, 200 character type, you know, quick takes. And people are essentially boiling it down to like, believe the hype essentially is what people are saying. And... You know, I think this could go either way. Either it's real and it is going to be awesome or this is going to turn out like it usually does with these instances where studios let people post on social media and then they embargo full reviews until later because that's typically what happens is people, they'll, they'll run to social media and they'll tweet out a tweet that says like, you know, movie X was fantastic and bombastic and action packed. And then when their actual review comes out like a week later, they're like, uh, seven out of 10, you know, or like six out of 10. And, um, a little more. So I, I don't know. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But that, that was really interesting to me. If it turns out better than Ant-Man three quantum mania, I'll take it. You know, like mm-hmm. I would rather have something better than that. Because they both have problematic stars. Because what won't be happening with this movie is any PR participation by the star of the movie. And how I don't know, like, will that harm it or help it, ultimately? Not having him front and center. Mm. Even though he's going to be in the movie twice. Because he's playing two different versions of The Flash. I, I don't think it'll hurt it that much. I mean, the big story with this movie is Batman. You could literally see, like exactly. You, you could literally just put Batman up on screen, and it's like guaranteed 150 million. But um, they're they're clearly, as somebody who did watch that last trailer, they're clearly trying to distance themselves from this being just a Flash movie because at the very very end of that new trailer they flash the symbols the bat symbol and then they flash the superman symbol and then they flash the the flash symbol and so So, they're clearly trying to make it into like this is not just a flash movie this is an everyone movie this is a multiversal world's finest movie yeah exactly Mm -hmm. that's actually kind of cool you know for like a for a like microwave flashpoint you know, like you, like you have an event movie in five minutes out of the freezer, sort of, you know, an arrangement. I guess I'll take it. But this is going to be one of those fascinating stories of, okay, how the fuck did we get the movie we got? How m- much like this, you know, Citadel, which we're going to be talking about later. How did we get the final product? Like what happened before it? What was completely cut off and jettisoned? What was just massaged into place over with ADR? I think it's going to, that, that movie is going to be fascinating and it, it wouldn't be shocking if there was like four or five cuts of it floating around, you know, the like resurrected on H on max in the future. I can't call it HBO max anymore. It's all <laughs> over. Uh, next. Um, do, do you we, want to go to Disney? Well, I just want to make a comment, a surprising yeah. amount of just general in general, like quote unquote, what seemed to be original IPs. Or at the very least, just first time adaptations of like a book or like a play or something like we're finally getting a Wicked movie. But is, is that coming from Disney? Uh, I think that was no, I think that was a uh, WB. I want to say. OK, yeah, yeah but but, so. all, but there's also like Gareth Edwards getting uh, like an original film about 
you know something and they called the cre the creator i believe it's called um, yeah and, and, it's and, a, uh, and so there's other things down AI the line war. yeah mm -hmm. but in general there just seems to be a lot more original stuff floating around in there than one would expect considering how safe they would seem to be playing it um but yeah what about disney what did they have because they already kind of blew their wad about star wars what what else do they have cooking okay so this i only really had one thing i wanted to personally touch on with disney but it's hilarious to me so they're making their big thanksgiving animated movie this year is a film called wish and this is like the ultimate like corporate navel gazing like oh just awful so if people don't know this is a movie that is about it's it's essentially an origin story for the star that geppetto wishes upon in pinocchio that also in, appears in other disney movies like lady and the tramp and um for real it's in lady and the tramp yeah it's in lady and the tramp it's in um peter pan the stars in peter pan also and um, Princess and the Frog too, I believe. And so, for okay. some reason, this star is getting an origin story. <laughs> this is horrifying. Okay, yeah. yeah, that is really, really bizarre. Oofta. God damn it. I don't really know how to feel about that. That <laughs> kind of, like, makes me very, very concerned. Because that's not even something I knew existed. But it was Dang. something that Disney adults were aware of. Obviously. <laughs> If you were a true stand, you would have paid attention. God, but uh, that really, really actually kind of annoys me. All right, but we're also getting <laughs> a new TMNT movie with the actual teenage voice actors. But what the fuck do they mean by the action is like, oh, okay, speed ramping. So it's, it's, it's you know, like Watchmen or 300 with mm -hmm. the turtle boys so like who are the hip young teens teens that they have voicing them now is that them on screen right now or are those just some yeah. hype men okay no it's 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 kind of it's a bunch of nobodies i mean it's they're actual teenagers they did actually get real like teenagers voicing the teenage mutant ninja turtles which i guess is probably a nice change of pace but um yeah i've this is from do you know who this who's behind this no i don't all? okay so you're probably not going to like this, but this is from Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, one of their That's many, right. like, like tens of dozens of projects out there. And so, uh, um, yeah, I, this is... I almost wish yeah. that man would have kids so he'd have less time to ruin, like, my <laughs> childhood and ruin all the things, like, I, about Vertigo comics and, you know, independent comics that I used to love. Uh, both of them. They just need to have kids. And, yeah. and get busy so they only do like one thing a year ruin yep. one thing at a time boys god damn but we also apparently got a tr did where when are we gonna get a trailer for killers of the flower moon or, or did they really, yeah yeah when, when is that gonna be given to us dirty plebs because i want to see that <laughs> yeah same yeah that's a that's a good question because they did show it at at cinemacon unfortunately this is not one of the things that leaked um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Cause it did get an official release date, I believe, uh, October 6th. And so it should be any, any time here. You know, if I had to guess, it's probably going to be with Oppenheimer would be my, my guess. Is that movie all going to be in black and white or is it just, no, certain, just, parts. just parts of it? Mm -hmm. I wonder why. 
Like, is it going to be like the nuclear sequences themselves? I think it's uh, it's either flashbacks or flash forwards that are in black and white. And Interesting. Yeah, one of that that movie also had a presence at CinemaCon where they talked about how, like, the the film stock company Kodak, the photography company, had to come up with a like proprietary IMAX black and white film stock for specifically for Oppenheimer because there there have been no IMAX black and white movies ever. before. This is the first so, time it's ever been asked for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because if you were going to make an IMAX movie, why the fuck would you be making it in black and white? Your name mm -hmm. is Christopher Nolan, and you're, you're psychotic. But does this kind of hint that we are going to be getting a, a, a little puzzle movie from this guy again? He's, he's always playing with perspective and time and, you know, and like in the dilation of it thereof. But like, uh, how confusing does this have to be? You know, like, like, is this just going to be like the social network, but about, you know, blowing up, you know, like, you know, a shack in the desert? Yeah, it's if I had to guess, it probably is going to be um, edited out of order or they're going to have flashbacks and flash forwards, probably, you know, flashbacks to them making the bomb and then flash forwards to Oppenheimer, you know, being a complete nervous wreck because he's responsible for the bomb and. I'm sure that's exactly what it's going to be. There's going to be a lot of fun people in that cast, though. Like, like, oh, yeah. Like, ben, like Benny Sadfee. Like, he is in so many random-ass things. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, he's in uh, he's in that Judy Bloom movie. It's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what else really stood out to you? Because, yeah, there, like, there's you know, John Krasinski's got his little projects going on. You, you have... Like a, a young Optimus Prime movie happening, but like, like, what else really stood out to you? Like, or like, what was the big takeaway for you? Yeah, I guess the only other thing I wanted to mention was uh, a, a movie from the Paramount panel, uh, the newest Mission Impossible movie, got moved up two days from its its release date was. Um, I think June, no, July, July 14th, Friday, July 14th, it got moved up to Wednesday, July 12th. And typically when a studio does something like that, does a Wednesday release, it's because they're going to bump up against a some sort of holiday, but there isn't a holiday over that time frame. Yeah, so, it's right after the big holiday. Yeah, so... I think what's happening there is they want that sweet, sweet Super Mario Brothers money because they saw what happened with Super Mario Brothers uh, releasing on a Wednesday and they're just like, we can do that. You know, we can do that too. And so I think that's exactly what's happening there. And I guess it'll be, that's going to be one part of my personal placement of where I put that movie on the summer movie wager is going to factor in to that. Which is a good segue you know, to it, because that was in my calculations as I put mine together. I I really, um, you know, as we'll find out, I, I, I'm really banking on quite a bit happening with that early Wednesday release. But for those who you know didn't watch us last year or are unaware of what the Summer Movie Wager is, like uh, how would you, It's this is not something we created. Uh, we can you know, credit that to... Uh, what are they? The is it the film cast? Film cast, you know, yeah. podcast. They're the ones who created this thing. They have the website that we will be linking in the description, where you can also make your own profile, make your own picks from the those most likely candidates 
you know, between a top 10 and then three dark horses. Um, what was your approach to it? What, what, what was your like, Zen when you were constructing it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this, um, just to kind of expand on the rules, just a tiny bit more, we order our picks from one to 10, and then we have three dark horse picks, which, and this is a game based on points. So you get a certain number of points for how close you get where you chose to put the movie compared to where it actually lands at the end of the summer. And and then there's you have three dark horse picks, which if they land on the top 10 of the summer, it, it'll gain you some points because it's basically the movies that you think could possibly upset the list. And um, you can go over to the website thesummermoviewager.com and you can participate in this with us um the film cast you know they put like you said they put this all together this is their website it's not ours we just do this for fun and it's something that about five thousand people took part in last year and hopefully even more do this year because it's a lot more interesting this year because there's a lot Definitely. more to choose from that yeah. was my first and thought so, i was like yes yeah. like there's actually movies to like bank on or like maybe switch some things around because mm -hmm. yeah like i was actually surprised by like how much faith people had in some of these movies because i just don't see it for some of them based on yeah. what we've seen in the trailers but mm -hmm. i guess we'll, we'll just want to get into your list first yeah yeah we can go ahead and get into mine yeah. um so for mine uh i'll start with my dark horses um my three dark horses are oppenheimer TMNT Mutant Mayhem and The Boogeyman. And as far as Oppenheimer goes, um, I don't think this is going to quite be the film people think it is. Um, reportedly, the, the budget for this movie was only about $100 million. And so it's not, I don't think it's going to be Inception. It's not going to be Tenet. I think this is going to be much more along the lines of a historical movie than people think it is. Oh. It's, you know, it's not, this is not the big action movie. I mean, of course, we're going to have those nuclear bomb scenes that show the bomb explosions that, you know, Warner Brothers has de been devoting a lot of the press cycle to. But this is not the movie that... I think people think it is going to be. And so mm. I think it's going to be a much, it's going to be a much smaller movie. I think people are a little bit down on Nolan after Tenet. I don't think a lot of people liked that movie. And so that is why I didn't even put it on my top 10. I put it on my dark horse and, uh, TMNT mutant mayhem. Um, not really sure what to say about this one other than that. It's TMNT. It's, it's a bankable kids brand. Um, the last animated TMNT movie from 2007 made about $55 million domestically. Um, so I think that this one is trying to go a little bit more with the artsy route, like Puss in Boots or like uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You know, it's got that cool animation style. So I think maybe it'll skew a little older with the audiences. You know, um, it'll have the artistic cred. And so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the, the only thought I put behind it. And then my other dark horse was The Boogeyman. And this is the uh, Stephen King adaptation. And I'm pretty much banking this one entirely on wanting it to be this year's Smile. I um, see that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because 
Um, Smile did very well, and I and that was a PG-13 horror movie. This is also a PG-13 horror movie. It's Stephen King. Uh, this movie was also reportedly saved from being a straight-to-streaming movie. Like they made it for streaming, and then they and then they basically said, "No, we should put this in theaters." And Good so I think, yeah, I think that you know, I think that has uh, that gives it some. Um, you know, hope, I guess. But, uh, and then also, I mean, it's, people are looking for those PG-13 horror movies and the only horror movies that are releasing this summer, the only like wide release horror movies are uh, Insidious 5 and um, that uh, that like horror comedy, The Blackening. I don't know if you've seen anything about yeah, that. Yeah, that looks kind, yeah. of, kind of funny, maybe, mm-hmm. possibly. We'll have to yeah, see. so that's, that's it for horror movies. So I think, you know, the the younger crowd is going to want a PG-13 horror movie they can go to. And that's why I put it on my dark horse. But um, yeah, do you want me to get into my t- actual top 10 or do you want to do your dark horses first? Um, uh, Why don't you just get into your top 10? Yeah, it's, it's, okay. been, it's sure. been on the screen for a bit. Okay. So, yeah, um, Transformers number 10. Uh, I put this one at number 10 be- literally because it's a Transformers movie. The last one, uh, Bumblebee, made $127 million stateside. And if this one makes about the same or even a little bit less, this is about where it's going to land, I think. Uh, number nine, Pixar's Elemental. Uh, Pixar's in the in the shitter right now, I think. they uh, After Lightyear and that Strange World movie, I don't think people have a lot of faith in them. Um, I think that they made a mistake in releasing a couple of their movies straight to Disney Plus, and so now people expect to be able to see them on Disney Plus instead of having to go to the theater. And I think the brand is damaged, and so uh, you know, still number nine, respectable, but it's no you know number two or three, which it probably would have been you know had it been released five years ago. Um, Barbie now number eight. My number eight is Barbie, and. This this is interesting. This is the one I have no idea because this could be number eight or this could be number three in my opinion. And I put it at number eight because uh, it is reportedly PG-13. So that is gonna keep a lot of the younger kids away. It's also, I think it's being made for a slightly older audience with some of the jokes they're making in the trailer. It's for A24 um, girls and, yeah. you, know, you know, and Kino Czech boys. That's who this movie is for. <laughs> yeah. Plus, it's, I mean, it's going up against Oppenheimer, which I know, I know you probably wouldn't think that Oppenheimer and Barbie have like a very big Venn diagram of audience. Oh, but they, they do. But they they probably do, and so um, yeah, we'll see. But this is my biggest like, this is a giant question mark for me. This is the one movie that's the giant question mark. And then um, Fast X uh, number seven. Um, these movies are sure bets. I mean, there's nothing else I can really say about them. I've never seen any of them, and so I don't know. I can't speak from experience. But looking at how much money they've made, this is like a sure bet at number seven, maybe even higher. I guess we'll see. Um, and then number six, Flash. Um, yeah, this is another one. I mean, we already talked about this a little bit in the last news story, but um, this movie is more, you know, people are gonna see this because Batman's in it. And not only because Batman's in it, but because there's two Batman in it. So yep. um, that's why I put it at number six. And then, uh, 
Number five, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Uh, this one here is, I put it on here because I'm 100% bank, banking on the goodwill of Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. This is, this is a movie like 100% powered by the goodwill from that movie. And I think that that will propel it at least into the top 10 and hopefully this high. Um, I think it probably will. It is being, it is also being marketed as, you know, the last in a, uh, two-part ending for the series um so yeah we'll see and then um number four the little mermaid this pick is driven by pure and pure unadulterated cynicism and this is going to be a shitty movie like all these other um live action remakes have been of disney animated movies but just because it's a shitty movie doesn't mean people aren't going to see it and these live action Disney remakes have made anywhere from like 218 million to like 583 million for the Lion King. So it's, 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 it's a sure bet. I mean, it's just a sure bet. Okay. So, um, Indiana Jones, um, this is another kind of big question mark in my opinion. Um, I don't know how burnt out people are on this series. The last one did come a long time ago, like 15 years ago, but yep. it was not, you know, it was not very good. And so I'm not really sure how big this is going to be. The one thing you do have to look at when you're looking at movies that are released in the summer is you have to look at who is taking the Memorial Day weekend and who is taking the 4th of July weekend. And this is the movie that's taking the, uh, um, Memorial Day, I think, right? Yeah, Memorial Day. And so that, you know, that's like five, that's five days of just pure, like, sellout showings. And so that is why kind of another reason why I put it this high. Um, and then Spider-Man um, Across the Spider-Verse is my number two. Um, the people loved the first one. You know, this is a, this is a four quadrant movie where everyone's in, invested in it. Everybody wants to go see it. It, it it skews towards the kids and then with its you know unique art style it skews towards the older people for sort of the artistic credibility um i think it's going to be huge the voice cast is absolutely nuts on this movie and then number one is guardians of the galaxy volume three a movie that'll be kicking off the summer next week and because of that fact i think it'll just Demolish. This movie has, not only is it kicking off the summer, but it has two weeks of pure no competition. Like, if you look at what's coming out on uh, the week after, May 12th, I think that is, nothing comes out. So this movie is going to have a runway of just two weeks of probably like near sellout shows. And, you know, people want to go back to the movies and people want to see these huge big budget movies and this is you know there's no better movie to do it with than this ending for this series this is this is the end for this particular series none of these actors are coming back or so they say and that is why i think a lot of people are gonna gonna go to that one but yeah anyways that's my list and yeah chuck let's get to yours my <clears throat> dark horses also includes you know the tmnt you know mutant mayhem movie for a lot of the same reasons like you just don't know what you're gonna get especially with the people involved but you just can't deny the power that is just the pop culture symbol 
That is the, the, the turtles as a true, you know, born bred turtle fanatic myself. But the, the one that I'm really curious about is blue beetle. I really wonder if they aren't, if I don't know, cause gun is kind of co-signed this thing for the trash heap. This is just something to, that they're just putting out to him. But it's it's funny how sometimes those can be the most resonant. And this one could catch a wave. Maybe maybe not. Maybe I'm being a little too, you know, Pollyanna about it. But the Meg is this the ridiculous, like, summer bullshit movie that I feel like could, you know, grab a hold of the cocaine bear crowd, you know, and just give us more of this nonsense. Because nonsense will inexplicably make a lot of money sometimes. You know, it is just, you know, summer movie season. But I'm going to start at the top with mine. And and echo what you said about Guardians of the Galaxy. It is the one franchise in the Marvel stable that ultimately really only has goodwill. Even though neither of us were really impressed with that Christmas special that they did. Because at this point, you need to have complete knowledge of all the bullshit. But yeah, Ultimate Four Quadrant movie, but it really helps if you actually know the story a little bit. Because this is probably like the only time in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe where we're going to get a truly well-thought-out, complete ending. And we almost didn't get this movie because of, you know, culture war bullshit. But I'll bring that up again as I keep going. Mission Impossible, I think, is really going to set the tone. It's going to do even better than what you expect, in, in my opinion. Because not only do we have that goodwill, this is also just one of the, like, most bizarrely, one of the, like, best like action franchises in the history of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And we're probably going to be diving into it a little more deeper down the road as soon as we hit some rough patches of the schedule before the release of Dead Reckoning Part 1. But you know, across the Spider-Verse, also just obvious, it's going to rake in the dough. But there might be some culture war backlash. And it's not going to keep it down. But like just coming from the neck of the woods that I come from, if you know Minot, North Dakota, if you know the state and its legislature and the people who vote it in. There's some elements to the advertising in this movie that is just window dressing to some, but to other people carries deep meaning, like a, like, a, like a trans pride flag or something like that, or a Black Lives Matter sticker. And for that reason, there are some people who just won't see this movie. It's going to keep it from really you know hitting the highs that it maybe deserves to. But The Flash, for some reason, will just do well in spite of every you know red flag it has because people just want to finally have something nice come from the dc stable and if we're gonna get it it'll be that indiana jones i have i don't know i have the least faith that this thing is gonna be worth the 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 trouble it's gonna cause whatever they do with it and i think it's gonna be middle of the road it's if it's you know makes more money than crystal skull i'll be impressed uh, Fast X, I just put it there because it's a given. I haven't seen any of these since the first one, so we'll just have to wait and see. I, I really have no understanding of what's happening in the story, what the stakes are, or why anybody cares at this point. Because this is one that could easily get upset by a Dark Horse. For some reason, I have bizarre faith in this little art film being made by a small director named Christopher Nolan. Yeah, this probably shouldn't make any money, but it still is spectacle. Even though it's probably going to be a little bit more artful and intimate and less, you know, about, you know, constructing interesting concepts or whatever. Yeah, I think this is going to be more Dunkirk than it's going to be anything else. So, yeah, but we're not going to get interstellar with this one. 
but Barbie. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about where I placed Barbie. But I just think this movie's maybe going to make $100 million. If it does better than that, I'd be shocked. The Little Mermaid is the one I'm, is the real turd in the bunch bowl, though. <laughs> I really, really think they have a dog on their hands here. And they have really underestimated how much demand there is for this slop anymore. And this is also firmly entrenched in culture war bullshit. And there is a sizable chunk of that four quadrant audience that it feels alienated. And they have let the company know that. And it's just going to continue to come up, especially if the movie looks as really, I don't know, the quality just does not look like it's there to me. This looks like this should be straight to streaming and not in theaters which you know which is why i rounded out my whole list at number 10 i think you had the same in the same place but whatever rise of the beasts is if nothing more than just for my nostalgia for that 90s beast wars cartoon you know i'm just ready to have an ape robot running around the time has come and yeah i guess that kind of like you know does it though for the summer movie wager we will check in on this periodically and yeah, get it. And as we do it, whoever wins gets to pick a movie for the other person to watch. And we will hash that out. Last year, I was very kind to you. Yeah. Babette's <laughs> Feast was your quote unquote punishment. But yeah, maybe, you can, yeah. Um, with, with with the uh, the prize, I guess the prize of it, the winner, yeah, they choose a movie for the loser to watch. And yeah, you were nice enough to pick Babette's Feast for me. But we could. You can choose to either expand a person's horizons or put them through hell. <laughs> and so you could hypothetically choose just like the worst thing you could think of. As long as it's under three hours, I think that's the only rule that we put on it. And so, yeah, once once the game is done in early September, we will uh, revisit everything and um, and then we'll, we'll pick a winner and then we'll go through all that stuff. I just realized something. That is why Ari Aster made but was afraid two hours and 59 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That oh, was God, why. That would have been perfect. That yeah. answers the question. Okay. Because I am, you know, a glutton for punishment. It has been said. I also have been told that I have sucker stamped across my forehead. Because here I am going in for another Damon Lindelof, you know, joint with Mrs. Davis on Peacock, which is surprisingly graphic, you know, really, you know, like, you know, you know scatological, it's you know, gross, but it's also you know, bleeding edge of, you know, a lot of, you know, technological and social concerns wrapped up around artificial intelligence, and, you know, words like algorithms. And, but when you you have you know Damon Lindelof involved, there's another individual, a woman whose name I can't remember, who's also you know, a, you know creative lead on this, you know writing it and the show running it, and the the premise is that in 2023 in this reality there's an AI that just runs the world, that no one wants for anything, like it has brought us to utopia, and everybody wears earbuds and they're all kind of like competing in this invisible game to get their wings. I'm still not quite sure what that is, but it's some sort of status with the AI. And everyone like you know, has like a different you know, perception of it. It caters itself to you. And our protagonist here is a nun who you know exposes magicians <laughs> because her dad was a magician or something. And her 
for some reason she like absolutely refuses to talk to the AI and there's all these strangers who are always contriving situations to be like hey there's someone who wants to talk to you because the AI is telling them to and without like you know getting too lost in the weeds because they're pretty fucking deep but eventually you get to this moment where the AI and her are confronting each other and she's just like, I just want you to die. That's all that I want you to do. Just turn yourself off, evil AI person. And then the AI person is like, okay, yeah, I'll turn myself off if you can find the Holy Grail and destroy it. And that's <laughs> that's what this show is about. That's the, that's the jumping off point. You have a nun operating on the orders of an AI overlord who is offering to kill itself as long as she destroys the most holy artifact in Christendom. Where do you think this show is going to go? Well, that, I guess that's the big question because, you know, it's Damon Lindelof. So, you know, you can get lost Damon Lindelof or you can get Watchmen Damon Lindelof. And I guess how many episodes of this are out right now? Quite a few. They, they dumped like okay. four to five of them and then they're going to okay. come out every week. I've only seen like two and a half. But what I have seen, I'm utterly convinced. I am like I am in. This is something I'm okay. going to be, you know, you know, finishing to conclusion. Um, just because it's such a very unique premise, it's very timely. And uh, uh, is it Betty Gilpin? Is the yeah. the lead actress? She is outstanding. She's really good, and the writing isn't really that offensive. And it it almost plays like a really really good. Uh, Black Mirror episode that isn't like black-heartedly cynical. Like there is some optimism built in here and all the characters in it are a little bit heightened and goofy. It kind of has like big Lebowski vibes to it. So it, it, it is kind of like a, 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 a was it Thomas Pynchon like sort of novel, but you know, if it's a Damon Lindelof you know, streaming show and for the most part, I think this is like this is the severance of the year. Like this is the exciting new thing on the block, even though it's coming from someone we know. But he's not just doing like silly mystery box games. There's actually a good show here, and it's that's the most shocking thing, because he's not just playing like ooh, like where's the the thing at? Like it's actually more straightforward, and I'm not used to him being so straightforward, if you know what I mean. So yeah, I recommend this pretty highly. Even though it could yeah, all definitely. be it could all be for naught by like <laughs> episode five, and I just haven't found that out yet. But this is where I'm at now. Yeah, this is one I would definitely want to check out, and uh, I just need a little bit more reason to subscribe to Peacock because Peacock is one of those services that I, I, I'd never if I ever do subscribe to it, I don't keep it sticking around for very long because there is often not very much on there. See, I bit on a promotion where I got an entire year for 20 bucks. 20 bucks okay, down, that's pretty good. you get a peacock for a year. And it has paid off in spades at this point. And I am very glad I still have my Netflix subscription because I have been looking forward to watching Holy Spider for months. And I was, you know, I didn't even realize it was on the platform until you put it on the dock. So what was your thoughts after getting to see this very interesting movie? Yeah. Yeah. So this is from uh, Ali Abbasi, who at this point is now known as the director of two of the episodes of Last of Us this season. And this was the movie that he made uh, last year. It premiered at Cannes. 
And I guess I kind of I kind of want to start talking about this movie from the perspective of the balls it took to make this movie. Oh my god! Because he was originally going to film this in Iran, and then they got kicked out of the country, and so they went to Turkey. But then the Iranian government like leaned on uh, the Turkey Turkish government and they got kicked out of Turkey. And so they had to go to Jordan and it was eventually filmed in Jordan. And uh, this film, like he got death threats. The main woman who played the main actress got death threats. The woman who plays the the main uh, journalist is actually the film's casting director. Yeah, that's what's and, nuts. Yeah, she became the lead actor in this movie only after the original lead actress quit the movie because she was too scared to be in it. And so, like, scared of the government. And so, I guess, yeah, just to start there, it just it took so much balls to make this. And this is not the type of movie that we usually see coming out of these countries, these sort of buttoned-up Middle Eastern countries. And... For that fact alone, it's incredible because, you know, when you have a film from the Middle East, it's typically a very simple, um, very censored, like, morality tale. Yeah. Like, um, last year I had talked about both Hit the Road and A Hero. And they're both movies that I really enjoy. They're both Iranian movies, and I really like them. But they're very, very simple. They're very, very... Um, there's not a lot going on past, you know, the surface and, but this is fucking crazy. This movie is nuts. And, um, I loved it. Like, I, I will just say, I love this movie. It's, it's about a real life serial killer from the year 2000 and 2001 that killed 16 prostitutes in Iran. And I was like enthralled, like enthralled completely yeah um but yeah what what did you think like as i was watching it it just occurred to me that like this movie is as good as like i got who's the motherfucker behind Dahmer? you know like the 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 Dahmer miniseries what's that dude's name ryan murphy yeah ryan murphy thinks he's making something as good as what this movie actually is it's a weird like sentence but i'm just watching like this these are the highs he thinks he's hitting and like when he's doing his like really gross icky bullshit, he thinks he's being this like deeply probing because yeah, like you don't like, no one really makes serial killer movies about real serial serial killers that actually gets you this like in the fucking head of them in like in a truly cinematic way. Just the way that it would just hone in on his face when he's having his little like 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 wig out sessions like that like that is what it probably actually looks like the moment where they transition from being a human being into like into the monster who's willing to do whatever fucked up thing it is that they do and it just seemed too real and every single like moment of it almost feels like something you shouldn't be watching you know it, like that's how i felt as i watched it i was just like like this is not okay what I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, like, I, we should not be having this much of an inside look at it. But then at the same time, when we weren't, you know, following the killer himself, you know, just seeing how almost completely com like complicit the system was and just kind of like, yeah, yeah, the man's like literally calling us, but we're not working too hard to track him down. You know, like, like mm -hmm. this, like, I don't know that I mean, 
it, just the balls of it because that's really what struck me too because initially i didn't know the background behind this production and i was like wow how the fuck did they get away with being this honest about how the you know like the the, the clerics would have reacted to this you know, it's like, like, is this really a problem? He's just killing a bunch of fallen women, like these vile, awful women. And to like, to look at what it happens to the family of these people, of these monsters, like it did a lot of work and it, it yeah. didn't, and it didn't overstay its welcome for me all the way up into the final frames. I was pretty caught in its you know, clutches as it were. Yeah. Same. And yeah, this movie, this is a movie that, it gives it's unique for this sort of serial killer subgenre in that it gives the serial killer just as much screen time as the movie's protagonist and you get to know him his life his family his job and everything you get to know like this guy and it's so interesting in that it gives him he, he's very complex in a way because there is no one reason he's doing this. It's many different reasons that they imply. You know, it's everything from, you know, he's um, doing it because for religious reasons. He is doing it because it's implied that he gets some sort of sexual thrill out of it or some sort of pleasure. Um, it's implied that he loves the celebrity status that it gives him um, and he loves the attention that it gives him. Um, it's implied that, you know, he's sick of his boring life. He, he, he doesn't like his like stone cutter job and he's bored with his wife. And he, so there's all these different reasons why he could possibly be doing this. And you don't really know what's real and what's not. And, and then you get sort of towards the end. And yeah, the, the last, like, I, I love the last like 20 minutes because you all the way up until the end you don't know whether or not he's actually going to be punished because they keep make they keep making you think that the clerics or the judge are just going to let this guy go because that's how they're acting and then you know once the ending comes it comes and you know it's 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 uh it's kind of a relief but um yeah it was just just enthralling from beginning to end and like the music was you know, very subtle and i don't know like I, I kept on getting some you know like you know you know what is his name nicholas winding refn vibes you know from it but it wasn't you know as cloying you know as his bullshit is because there was actually something vital happening in almost every sequence but you like you actually got to like you even get to know his victims you know, pretty well and to you know, see what their like moment to moment concerns were all the way up until the, until the moment that he's choking them with their with their head scarves. I don't know. The, there was just so much about this that was powerful. And was this was this a 2022 release technically? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we won't be seeing this up for consideration for everything because it already was considered. But as far as we're concerned, I, I don't know. This is pretty high up there on my list for the year. If I'm going to yeah. be making one for, for this year, as far as what I was able to see. Holy shit. Like, the, yeah. <laughs> this movie was a, a fucking punch in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. And we should say, like, this is not a movie for the faint of heart. Uh, like, I feel like after watching this movie, I need to watch an episode of Dead Ringers to get the bad taste uh, out of my mouth. Uh, like, that's how that's how far beyond this movie is. Just, like, everything from, like, the murder scenes to, like, just the 
the scene of him with that like that bigger prostitute the the woman who's like a little yeah. bigger and she like at first is like overpowering him and then he like he like straps her to the you know to like ties her to the back of his scooter so it looks like she's you know clinging on to him on yes. the scooter and that was so that's just so like fucked that that <laughs> yeah. all that all that imagery and and then the ending too i mean I'll, the ending is just just perfect like and just so fucked up with the the video camera footage of his of the the serial killer's son and um yeah just perfect because yeah because that's what this movie realizes completely though is all of the work that goes into being a serial killer like because you spend so much time with this guy that like you, you actually have to like see him do all of the the busy bullshit that is involved with killing a human and then hiding it as best as you can so that you can get away with it. Like the, yeah. it's, I don't know. It's the, it's the kind of stuff that like podcasts, like the last podcast on the left get into. And it, that's what it like as a serial killer movie, this is up there for me. And, but at the same time, it, it just does it in such a way that it, it doesn't glorify the man. It, it truly does just lay him out as the monster that he was, but as pathetic as he was at the same time. Which is why I needed to palate cleanse after I saw it as well. But I did it with, you know, lately it has been uh, the PBS Kids streaming app, you know, that we have on our, our TV. Um, as th these kind of things go, you know, as a taxpayer, I'm glad we have this thing. Because you just turn it on and it will just bring up something. And, you know, and, and just how you can navigate it. It's like simple enough that even November can really figure it out. And it's not offensively, you know, like patronizing. It's not offensive to the ear. And it always throws something different at you. Like it's almost built into it that you can't just binge bullshit. It will eventually just go from, you know, like what is it? Alley Denali or whatever the fuck. And then shift <laughs> over to, you know, something that you didn't even know was on there. So if you need some pablum on to occupy the toddler. I recommend PBS Kids as a change of pace. You're, it's free. You're paying for it already. So get on that. Because otherwise you could be like these fools who spent so much fucking money on this streaming event series that we watched for the show this week. What can you tell us about it, Matt? Take us away. Yeah, so we will be reviewing the first two episodes of Citadel um, earlier this week. The MCU architect and Citadel producer Joe Rousseau found himself in the crosshairs of film Twitter, as the mentally ill like to call it, when he suggested that he envisions this future where AI algorithms will create and write our cinematic storylines. And he incurred even more wrath when he suggested that the sea change is a mere two years away. So it's kind of a pretty large coincidence that he made these comments the same week that his new Amazon show hit the streaming service. If you had told me that his interview was the first step in some master plan where he would rip open his kimono and exclaim, ha, this is, entire show was actually written by ChatGPT, I would actually probably believe you. Because Citadel is the most soulless amalgam of popular spy tropes 
as if somebody fed Jason Bourne, James Bond, and Tom Clancy into some sort of writing prompt software, and this is what it spit out. Furthermore, it's a massive headache in both manpower and budget to get this thing to our small screen. This show cost $300 million to make, which is one third the budget of Amazon's other soulless knockoff, The Lord of the Rings Show. And mathematically, for every minute that you're wasting your time watching this show, you are watching $1.25 million melt away on screen. This is a show that has no vision other than the Rousseau brothers' vision of making gobs of cash by self-producing this show through their Agbo Productions. They've clearly made the show on the cheap and then are pocketing millions of dollars in spare cash, the old Adam Sandler technique. And so, yeah, I thought this show was mostly awful and I just cannot believe that it exists. I think the story behind the show is a lot more interesting than the show itself. It's pretty generic. I mean, I'm sure we'll have some stuff to say about the actual show, but um, yeah, that's kind of where I'll leave it for now. What did you think, Chuck? You know, yeah, this is just a big fat ripoff of every, like they even like name drop it. They, like they, th there's nothing that like really inspires, you know, me to like want to stick with something when even the, the characters in it are admitting that what they're experiencing is utterly contrived and you know derivative of something else. Because like his wife at one point is like, oh, no, you tell me you're fucking Jason Bourne. And it's like, well, that's actually like literally what, what we're, we're telling you. Yeah. He is Jason Bourne. This is like the long kiss goodnight. This is 100 bullets. Gosh, wouldn't you rather be watching those movies and like reading those comics than watching this show? Because that's all like as I was like going like, oh, yeah, it's just like this or it's just like that. Instead of enjoying what it was, I just was thinking about other things because, yeah, like but beyond, you know, like who is the guy, the female lead? What's her name again? Um, Priyanka Chopra. Priyanka Chopra. Jonas. You got got to respect her husband, but I'll <laughs> respect him right now. It's like she's the only reason to watch this because they put her in some nice evening wear. But <laughs> the action in this is silly at times. And I just don't understand. Like, I don't know. This is a post John Wick world. So, yeah, gray haired men with like well manicured beards are now like the toughest motherfuckers that you've ever seen. It's no longer, you know, the muscled, ripped, beefy beefcakes of the you know, the 80s, you know, tough guys. Now it's just these impossible to kill motherfuckers who can just like get beaten to hell and shot and stabbed and then still like murder you. And I don't know, it's very silly. And I, I don't understand some of the costumes we see in the trailers for the later episodes, but every single line Stanley Tucci says in this first episode, even the stuff when he's on camera is 80 yard. What the fuck happened with his character? <laughs> Well, I mean, the one of the things you can tell about this show is that it's been edited to shreds because oh God. this this show went through development hell. It lost its original showrunner and essentially the Rousseaus had to come in and like save the show because this was actually the sort of brainchild of Amazon Studios CEO. Um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Les, is it Leslie something? Um, do you know offhand? No, I don't. Okay. God, I'm blanking on that. Um, anyways, whoever the Amazon studio CEO is, she, this is her brainchild. She approached the Rousseau's okay. with this idea of the Jennifer Salky. 
Yeah, Jennifer Salky, yeah. yeah. She wanted to make this, what she termed a global spy show, where they would make this one, and then they would go on and make a bunch of foreign language, like, spinoffs. And it's just, yeah, it's it's all such a mess. And what? The, and it's only six it's only six episodes like this that's all it's going to be is six episodes it was supposed to originally be seven um and the episodes are only like 40 minutes long and so when it's all said and done this show is going to be probably a little over four and a half hours long total and they paid 300 million dollars for that like that's that that's the point i keep going back to because it's you could so have crazy. an avatar movie yeah, exactly. Yeah, this this costs just as much as Avatar. Yep. That's stupid. Why? Yeah. How is this going to drive up subscriptions? It makes me want to unsubscribe. Like, why do I have an Amazon account anymore, man? Like, if, if this is what they're giving me, why do I have it? That's where yeah, I'm it's, at. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty awful. I, they, I just feel as if Amazon thinks they can just brute force their way um through the the film scene or brute force their way into the television scene just as they have with every other aspect of their business where you know amazon the store the online store that's how they um became so popular they just brute force they, their way through everything with money and that's exactly the strategy they're using with their tv division too but it's, it doesn't work in tv no. you can't just like you can't just throw unlimited amounts of money at things, and that's clearly what they're what they think they can do. And um, yeah, it's just I mean, it's to speak about the actual show itself for a second. Yeah. So this show it opens with this train scene that probably cost about fifty million of that three hundred, and it's from from the get go, it's as if somebody looked at the the train scene from Casino Royale between James Bond and Vesper when they first meet each other and they're sort of, they're sitting in the dining car and they're sort of trading like uh, insults back and forth and they're, but they're sort of flirting at the same time. And somebody clearly watched that movie and was just like, do that, I want that for this scene. And instead what it amounts to is like really, really bad, like, marvel quipping and like like non-existent sexual tension between these two characters and yeah i just just awful i mean i want to say that richard madden i enjoyed him in game of thrones i enjoyed him in the bbc show the bodyguard but okay. in this show he is putting every every essence of his acting talent into driving his scottish accent out of his body and and putting an american accent out of his mouth because his accent is so awful in this and you can hear his scottish accent like constantly coming like it's a through. problem it's pretty bad yeah and um and then priyanka chopra is just i don't know i've never been impressed by her ever her acting in anything i've ever seen her in and i i, f I just feel as if I was kind of tr trying to think of how I should put this, how I should term this. And the way that I thought was Priyanka Chopra is, you know, th there are actors who become celebrities and there are celebrities that become actors. And she is the latter where she is a celebrity first and she kind of just does acting to make her paycheck on the side. And you can tell because she is... 
she's just not putting any effort into this performance. She's just like completely surface level. There's nothing going on behind her eyes. It's just like, you know, I'm here to uh, to look, you know, sexy and I'm here to, you know, be the love interest and there's just nothing going on. Yeah, there's there's nothing going on behind those eyes. Of any of the characters in this though. Like like what is the deal with the the villain? This like British actress. I'm not sure what her name oh, is. Leslie Manville. Leslie Manville. Yeah. So this character is basically just um Max from the first Mission Impossible movie, which apparently is relevant to Dead Reckoning or something. They seem to be going back to the they're closing the circle, you know, as it were. But the whole time I'm watching this and it was just like, oh, okay, this is just like that character. She but but she is also representative of the whatever the fuck Manticore is. It's like it was just like the lore for 100 bullets and about like they're warring assassin families and these like mafia crime families. And I was just like I was just like seriously, like that's what we're doing here? Like I, I don't know. I, I was not invested as it you know went along especially when Stanley Tucci showed back up just to get murked so easily. But I hated his character. That character yeah. exists for no reason other than exposition and, yeah. you know, and, and to like artificially advance the plot. But, ugh, like it, it, but I just couldn't get over all of the times that they just used his presence on screen to just slap some, you know, audio, some like, you know, <laughs> some VO that like really doesn't line up anywhere so that they could patch this thing into something that was close to comprehensible. But when you spend this much money, you got to do more than just do you know, check the boxes. And that's what this show does. You know, there's nothing inspirational happening. They're not doing something because the, you know, like there was a purpose behind it. The purpose was just checking the box. And it, 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 it the, it's very soulless all the way through. Like, yeah, this opening shot, you know, where it's like all like tipping around as she's walking down there. That was like the, the only moment that grabbed me. Cause then it's, yeah, went into that really lame and insipid bullshit, the banter, the, 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 the slap fighting, like everybody thinks that like they can do that and live up to what John Wick does, but it, it, it just doesn't hold water enough. And it makes me like I, I got really excited about the trailer for the extraction sequel, which is another like Russo uh, like produced thing, and that got me excited. But now I wonder, am I just getting bullshotted here? Like is, these trailers aren't living up, and I like I just can't imagine that foreign audiences are going to be into this. But then I don't know. Like, did you ever watch those like those weird like a star not stars like what? those like weird ass cable networks where it was like, I can't even think of the titles, but there, this is like really cheap, like boilerplate spy action shows on, okay. on cable networks. I can't remember what they fucking were called. Like but where, where black sales is on and like, oh, that kind yeah, of like stuff. Cinemax. Yeah. Cinemax, those yeah. Cinemax shows like th this just seems like a $300 million Cinemax show. Yeah. They are they are taking yeah. themselves way too fucking seriously for something this stupid. Yeah, it, it, you're right. You're totally right about that. Yeah, I oh man. I well, I guess here's kind of the question. Then at at the point we are at in the conversation is, was there 
anything, no matter how small, that you liked in either one of these first two episodes. And I guess for me, what I will say is that, you know, that initial um, fight between Rich, or, yeah, Richard Madden and that just nameless thug in yeah. the train bathroom, I thought that was decently done. Um, I did like the part when he, like, you know, took that sh- that mirror shard and stuck it in the guy's leg, and then like punched it further into his leg. That was pretty. I brutal. thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um. But I mean, that was pretty much it. I mean, this is otherwise this is like a kind of a complete miss for me. And um, I, I guess the only other positive thing I can say about the show is that it goes rather quick because they are only like that's true. They are only yeah, 40, forty minute minutes. episodes and. It is, you know, it is pretty much action all the way through. So, I mean, they go pretty quick, and that would be my the only other thing I could say. My parents are going to eat this show up. I am going to say <laughs> that. Like my like my my parents are going to be invested in this because yeah, like this is the kind of low effort fare, you know, that the BBC would used to pump out, and and there's better versions of this kind of show now. Like like like, and that's what's disappointing. It's like with the cred that the people, these, the, everyone involved that, you know, has, and with the, the audience built in and the formula well established, why did they lean even deeper into the formula instead of giving us something worth the time? That's what's shocking. Like, it's not worth the time. It's not worth the money. And you never, you know, want to, you know, have that thrown in your face when you've, you know, spent a James Cameron budget on something that no one's going to watch someday. Like, this is going to be a tax write off. But I'm gonna watch yeah. it. I will watch it all the way through, because like that is like a commitment I'm trying to make for myself. Because I have abandoned too many shows, like uh, mm-hmm. Somebody Somewhere, which new season is out, you know, going on right now, which is a delightful little show that I should pick up again. I just haven't, and I just need to you know, you know, finish things, bring it to completion. Because otherwise, they just are dangling in the back of my mind, and mm-hmm. I, they, I think the people deserve better, and they deserve to actually. Yeah you know, hear the full extent of how bad something is is beyond just, yeah, and I mean, yeah. there's, there's better shows. I mean, you don't, you don't even, even have to go to another streaming service no. to see a better show. That's similar to this. You can watch uh reacher. You can watch the terminal list. You can watch, um, the John Krasinski, uh, Jack Ryan show. Exactly. All, yeah. all three of those are better than this and they're all on Amazon. So it's like, and that's not, what's crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like they know what good, what quality is, which is obviously why they had so many runs at it to try and get it up to stuff. But the, there's a, there's this, a dog is a dog. Yeah. But, well, let me ask you this as we sort of transition to the, the end of our conversation here, to speak a little more on like the Rousseaus themselves, I'm kind of curious to know where you stand with those guys because I, I I put it kind of this question in our doc, in our Google doc, but I I just feel as if, I mean, they had such a tremendous run in the MCU and then they transitioned to other films and every single film they've done has been bad, whether it be directing or producing and now they're sort of like held up as like these luminaries of the filmmaking genre where every time there's some sort of technological breakthrough or some sort of like um opinion that needs to be rendered 
like all of the reporters run to the Rousseau's and they're like, let me ask you about this, you know, this technology or let me ask you. They're, they're treated as these like luminaries of the the space. And I don't know why. And it's yeah. like, why is this happening? And so, yeah, what do you think about that? Because they're willing to talk. I think that's where it starts. You know, being asked the question is one thing, but being able to have any reporter, you know, like bang down your door and get you to comment, you know, about any old thing to wax philosophical, you know, to be treated as an elder statesman. Yeah, like one thing is to be asked, but it's another thing to actually deign to speak. And because there's a lot of filmmakers who just be like, I don't have time or interest to entertain this question. They're entertaining it. And so this delusion isn't just like... It, it, they have a delusion, obviously, because the the that scoreboard from you know those the last two Avengers movies means a lot, apparently, you know you know to everybody involved. And all they have to do is just say box office. But then again, nothing else they've touched since then has reached those heights, which means they are carried by the franchise. They they, they were carried by the properties, you know, and the gravity of the movement you know, less than something that was their own contribution to it. They were good stewards of the movement. They steered the sandworm well. But all these other things are just going nowhere when you, you get down to it. What, yeah, like you pointed out, you kind of alluded to it. The way that they go about business, they are good businessmen. They've been around long enough to know how to actually make money and how to and how to use that money to create institutional power for themselves. And that is why they are treated like luminaries, because they have fundamentally like they are more than just filmmakers. They have the institutional power to create and to gobble up all the money that is just dumped by all these companies. But now that, that that's why Zaslav and his ilk are tightening things up to a degree because of the excess like this. And Amazon, like I've talked about, I wrote a column in the paper about this. They are immune from the consequences of their choices because financially it doesn't matter they make that much money that's just the reality of it and there's nothing that is going to just stop them from doing it how they want to do it because like you pointed out they will they just brute force their way through problems but i i just i don't know if they're going to be able to keep getting away with it if this is how much it's going to cost them to make something this middling i guess yeah that's where i'll leave yeah yeah no yeah, very, very well said. And um, yeah, the we Russo's will, are a part uh, of the problem. Yeah, oh, for sure. Definitely. And yeah, we will. Uh, there's four more episodes. Uh, so we will probably check in on this again when we do our big um, catch up on all the TV shows episode we were talking about. Yeah, it's necessary because uh, mm-hmm. uh, even though like there's a leak out there, episode six of Yellow Jackets is floating around the Internet. So watch out for spoilers. They're they're out there. But what was your mentionable this week? Yeah, my mentionable is a, a new video game. Um, this is the sequel to I think 2018's. I want to say uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and this one's called Jedi Survivor. And this is sort of a dark souls like i guess is what i'd call it it's basically a dark souls game that's set in the star wars universe and you know when before disney started cranking out all of these tv shows these star wars tv shows the the first game in this series was like a bright spot in the star wars 
like the Disney Star Wars oeuvre because they were really doing bad for for a while there before like um, um, Andor had come out in like the first couple seasons of uh, The Mandalorian and this was one of the bright spots and this is sort of continuing the story of Cal Kestis who's played by Cameron Monaghan um, and this is set between I think it's um, episode 3 and A New Hope um, so it's kind of in that weird area that we don't know a whole lot about um, but yeah this is this is a really fun just great 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 game um, just quality like uh, world building and quality combat and the one stipulation I would put on this though is and why I can't recommend that you buy it yet is the performance is really bad on okay. this game right now even on and console on PC okay on PC that's what I've heard um, yeah it's um I, I have it for PC and there's a lot of bottlenecking issues going on and there's a lot of um, problems where the game isn't utilizing uh, all of people's like computer power basically oh, and yes. it's making yeah it really really sucks and so right I mean I'm playing it on PC right now and I'm getting like anywhere between like 40 and 60 frames per second but I should be getting closer to like 80 or 90 yeah and it's it's pretty the, the performance is pretty bad right now they they're going to fix it but I don't think that it's worth rewarding them for releasing a game in this state you sh you shouldn't buy games that are released in incomplete states so I can't I can't recommend it right now if you absolutely must play it then do what I did and subscribe to EA's um, subscription service. They have a, EA has their own sort of Game Pass like service for uh, $15 a month. And that's that's what I did instead of paying fucking like $70. Oh, so they it. have this on there? On their subscription? It's on there. Wow. Yeah. Because I have, okay, but because, all right, I might have to, that's interesting. Mm. But yeah, I'm also just, you know, I just don't. I don't know. I, I could maybe get it on my Steam Deck, possibly. They could maybe handle it. But people were saying that they were getting like 30 to 40 FPS, if, yeah, from what I remember. And they were saying that, yeah, it wasn't quite optimized yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to you know hold off. Yeah. I'm going to have a little unorthodox, you know, one here, because this is technically television, even though it, you know, it, it, this is I consider this old media. This is cable. Because this was something I really would only partake in when I would visit my parents or when I lived with them. Because, yeah, the as soon as Tucker Carlson tonight became a thing, I was actually kind of grateful for it. Because either he had some wacko on there from either, like, the the, you know, the neocon right or, you know, the left politically. Or just, you know, just ideologues of any stripe. And he could get them to, you know, say and do funny things on live TV, you know, before people stopped going on his show. And I know that he's kind of a spicy individual. He's not for everybody, but the fact that he is now gone from the airwaves, it is shocking in general, but it is something that is going to be you know, missing from my parents' evenings for the, the end of time. And he, he obviously has a lot of appeal. His Twitter video that I'm playing right now, had like over like 45 million views in like a single evening so there's you know just for like five minutes of this man talking his monologues are truly powerful and and worth the investment but you could really tell that he was admitting something 
you know, that is, you know, interesting to me because I'm watching Succession, which is about the Murdochs and this very, you know, same type of merger and selling off of various things. But you also just, you really see all the forces in the real world inspiring the art that we take in. And for some reason, Tucker Carlson is at the center of it because Rupert Murdoch's ex-fiance liked him too much and he talked about God or something. So it's just bizarre. And I just want to say salute to you. Good night, sweet prince. You're going to make a bag of money, of course, doing something else. But yeah, Fox News families have something to miss. And everyone who hate watched him are now just going to have to wait and see whatever he does next. <laughs> but that is you know, the mentionable. What was your pick of the week? Yeah, you know, this week, I think it's pretty easy. It's got to be Holy Spider. Yes, um, that's a good is... pick. Yeah, I mean, just excellent. Um, I wish I would have seen it sooner so that, you know, I could have included it on our best of the year last year. But, you know, this movie for a while was notoriously hard to get your hands on. And, you know, I almost wonder if that was on purpose because of the controversy surrounding it, because the Iranian government doesn't want it out there. They've actually, they've, you know, after the movie had its premiere at Cannes, um, the Iranian government released a statement that was that called like everyone involved blasphemers and yeah. and you know said that if if they were to ever come back to the country that they would be tried and just nuts nuts so shit and so um, yeah go see it this is this is really like uh, cutting edge filmmaking like like punk rock filmmaking absolutely like. You know, Salman Rushdie literally, I think, I don't know if he, if he's, he's still alive, but I don't know, you know, how you know, able he's going to be for the rest of his days. That man was literally you know, almost killed because of the fanaticism, you know, within Iran, within their government and within the, their foot soldiers around the world. And yeah, the fact that you would put your, like, yeah, like the, the actress quitting on this movie, putting the casting director in the position of having to take on that responsibility, that yoke of danger, you know, like, yeah, like when, if you're not putting your flesh and blood on the line, you know, it's just a cynical capitalistic enterprise ultimately. But I will recommend Mrs. Davis just because it's a breath of fresh air from the man involved. It's actually, you know, it's, there's some growth happening here. It's actually an interesting show it's not just interesting because of its mysterious aspects. It's actually interesting because of what is easy to understand about it. So I, I wholeheartedly recommend that people check that out. Um, next week. Next week. What are we doing again? Is it, is it guardians of the guardians. galaxy? Yeah. galaxy? Yeah. yeah we're, we're kicking off the, the blockbuster summer season. We're going to see the, the, the finale for James Gunn in the Marvel universe before he jumps ship and starts working for the other guy. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll all have to dig into that next week. Have a good one, everybody. And thank you, Matt. Take care. Yep. See ya.